Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. Yeah, we're uh, rolling along. Spring is here. We're happy to be here. I'm waiting for the day we're not rolling along. I'm going to be really worried. Well, yeah, there'll just be silence on the other side, won't there? <laughs> just a crash. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, yeah, spring spring has sprung. It's, it's pretty exciting to actually have sunny weather up here and be outside in shorts. Um, I feel like my body is just so happy just getting some sunlight on my very pasty legs. I guess that's what they say. Yeah, the, uh, the sun is good for us. Yes. Yeah, and today we are talking all about sort of... Uh, on run, on bike, and just in life nutrition with Lottie Bilderici. Uh, I'm super, super psyched on this. She, I've been following her for a really long time. If longtime listeners of the podcast remember, we once had a uh, Jesse Zappo on talking about art therapy and coaching the Adidas runners. And actually, the those two are, are really good friends and have done a lot of stuff together. And that's how I sort of first came across Lottie, but then she kind of recrossed my path uh, with her new book, Running on Veggies, uh, more recently. Uh, and actually, we realized I interviewed her like several years ago because in addition to writing a cookbook for runners, uh, she actually had worked with Team Sky and she's done you know, nutrition stuff with, with the tour and with all of these like big cycling teams as well. Cool. Um, so she has just a fascinating story, how she got into endurance sport, how she got interested in nutrition. Uh, she's, she's really done a lot of stuff within the sport and worked with athletes at all different levels. And I think that makes her such an interesting person to, to chat with about this. And I think, uh, you know, what, what we were initially a little bit nervous about is everyone is on sort of the plant-based bandwagon these days. And while I'm totally fine with that all about it uh people who've read my my book on uh nutrition know that i was actually vegan for quite a few years so i think it's possible to do it healthily but that's not necessarily the avenue we wanted to go down and it turns out that running on veggies well it's very much a, a plant plant forward kind of cookbook it's actually not a hundred percent like oh everything has to be vegan or all is lost and you can't possibly be nutritious without eschewing all animal products right yeah and i think that's you know a it's important to have these conversations uh you know and go back and forth and i think that's really why we're saying plant-based i think now isn't it that we're you know it's not the complete you know we're not saying veganism or, or vegetarianism if you're plant-based i think that's generally a, a no animal products thing where it's generally a vegan diet but without the vegan sort of philosophy around it plant forward is more of that like okay well that's yeah. that's why we're having these conversations we're getting, into we're, the getting, weeds here. We're getting terms but uh you know I, I what i really like about these is you know we can agree vegetables are good and, and you know for most people you know i'm sure there's the all the different fringes but uh you know we get to learn a lot about these recipes and how this does work and then as we get smart people, uh, you know, on this podcast who are using this with high performance athletes, we also start seeing, well, how do we get enough calories? Exactly. Uh, yeah. And also just how do we make vegetables part of our, our general everyday diet where we mm -hmm. actually enjoy and them? And good. And, and you, we certainly need to refer back to recent podcasts. Uh, Nigel Mitchell uh, was on. 
uh, also talked about plant-based diets and uh, hyper-processed foods and sort of the the sort of dichotomy or problem there where we start getting into these, uh, yes, made out of plants, but also, you know, made in a factory and, and you know, very far removed from, you know, broccoli. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, so definitely give that episode. We'll link to that in the show notes if you didn't catch Nigel's return. Yeah, I would say... Uh, Nigel's cookbook's amazing. Lottie's is also amazing. I feel like we've just had so many good cookbook people on lately where this one, Running on Veggies, awesome cookbook. And also, side note, we do talk about uh, in-ride food, and I was so excited that we were talking about actually using more of like gels and sports drinks. I think the conversation really has come back to them. A few years ago, I feel like if you said you used gels, it was kind of almost like a a dirty secret because whole foods was where it was supposed to be at even on the bike and now i think we've we've kind of come around to no we can we can be using some of those things to good effect during always asking you who am i and what am i trying to do exactly yeah yeah. Yeah. so i thought that was fantastic um so before we get into this episode with lottie uh let's quickly talk a little bit about today's sponsor we have athletic greens ag1 Uh, It is their 53rd iteration of the original Athletic Greens uh, powder, and we've been using it now for a few months, and I have to say, like, I... I'm so, so happy we started using it. I mean, we've, we've ordered it for my parents. Uh, it's, it's sitting in New Jersey where, you know, I'm trying to get my dad to do more. Well, I'd say more vegetables, but that's not happening. So this is a, a close proximity. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly it. You know, the clients I'm using with are very similar in that they just won't eat vegetables, right? They're, they're not even interested in this plant-based discussion. Uh, you know, they're, they're just not, that's not been part of their life. That's not the way they were raised and they want to improve nutrition. And so this is, you know, hopefully a first step towards feeling better, you know, exercising more, moving more. Uh, and then, you know, over time we can start adding some of these, you know, try this cookbook, uh, you know, learn how to cook, you know, you can have these vegetables, but for some of us, this is, you know, a first step. And I think it's worked really well, uh, for those folks. And then we also have, uh, people are back traveling, uh, for work, for pleasure, uh, and otherwise. And, and this is just tough, right? We're getting faced with airplane food and more restaurant food and, and just choices that aren't great. Uh, and so this is, you know, as they say, insurance or, or a supplement, uh, while we can't, you know, prepare a perfect, uh, plant-based or, uh, you know, vegetable nutritious meal. Yeah. And I mean, I just love, like I've, I've been down the roads where I've taken just packets of different supplements and different pills and different powders over the years. And I love, this is just kind of one-stop shop. It's 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens. So you're kind of getting everything all in one. And I mean, really when you're talking about cost per like mm-hmm. per day uh if you compare I, i've seen your supplement cabinet uh <laughs> over the years and i think well while the price tag on it might seem like oh my gosh this is you know i think it's under three dollars a day sure. um compared to what i was doing with just two or three probiotics prebiotics that kind of thing uh, it's actually like quite reasonable for sure. And then also to say, you know, when we're starting to get these different sourced supplements from all different, you know, stores and different uh, wherever, you know, we also get concerned about the purity, you know, what's in it. Uh, and then also if there's any sort of concern about doping, which, you know, we should all be concerned about this, uh, you know, again, at least there's this third party NSF uh, rating. Yeah. Real talk. I actually just realized the uh, Quebec Mega Trails race I'm doing uh, in a month and a half now. Uh, it's going to be the first race I've done in a really long time where there actually is uh, randomized drug testing at it. And I was right. like, oh, my gosh, I'm actually really, really glad that. I've still been focusing on making sure that all of the supplements and everything that I use are NSF certified. Uh, that 
because otherwise that's an extremely stressful thing. And we can't all be 100 mile racers like Molly uh, getting drug tested, but it is a concern, right? If you're paying for something that you think is going to be good for your health, you want to be you know, pretty sure that what's in it is what you, you think is in it. That's supposed to be helping Very your helpful, health. Very helpful, yes. Uh, and then the worst case is, you know, you have a bad reaction to something and, or, or a good reaction and you don't know you know, why that was or what was in the product, right? And that's that's very common that you end up with something different in the supplement that you're reacting to. Mm-hmm. All right. So there you have it. Uh, to make it easy, Athletic Greens is giving you one f- uh, free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase, uh, which is actually, re- the vitamin D is really tasty, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's these little drops and they're they're quite good. I don't know. They've got like a nice little like clean aftertaste. That's right. So two bonuses, but we have, we have to go to a link. Yes. Uh, all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash Molly H. Uh, we decided consummate athlete was a little too hard to spell. So we went with athleticgreens.com backslash Molly H uh, to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So again, athleticgreens.com backslash Molly H. Uh, and yeah, without further ado, let's get into this podcast with Lottie Bilderici. Enjoy. I will just start by saying uh, welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, Lottie. I'm so excited you're here. Thank you. It's so good to be here and be on the podcast today. Yeah. So before we start talking about like all things vegetables, uh, we we typically start with our kind of athletic bio for people. So how did you uh, how did you get into running? What's what's your story? Oh my gosh! Right with the hard hitting questions. First. I know, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I got, I was always athletic as a kid, but I got into running when I was about 16, 17. Um, it was my senior year of high school and a bunch of kids were going and doing a half marathon in Disney world. And a few years prior, I had, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma and, um, I was gone through Hodgkin's, you know, was treated. And then I had this opportunity to do this race and, um, everyone was going to do this half marathon and it was also to raise money for a local cancer center. So I just felt like, you know, this is a, I didn't even think of the running component. I was just like, Oh, here's a great way to give back. Like this was such a hard time in my life. And I I didn't talk about it for so long. Um, I'll give back. And I started to run then and being the type a personality that I was, I wasn't like all my friends that just showed up and didn't train. I was training for this race I did the race and I just fell in love with running from that point on because I found this sense of community within the sport, but I also like felt the sense of control in my life. Having gone through all these other things where I felt out of control, I felt like I had some control in my life and I was empowered by these choices that I was making every single day, choosing to run, choosing to eat healthy. So, um, that's kind of how I got into running. Um, I went on to pursue half marathons after that, which I really loved, um, and got a little bit competitive within the running scene, but mostly within my age group. Um, then I had a bunch of setbacks and stress fractures, which kind of, um, I guess, encouraged me to pursue nutrition as well, um, with athletes. And then I ended up doing an Ironman in 2018. So, and then I did my first, my first marathons this past year, um, in November outside of an Ironman. Isn't that funny when the Ironman is your first marathon, it feels totally different, right? 
it's so different because your mentality is just like you you have the whole day to finish and if you have to walk you walk like whatever you do you have to do to finish you finish and like with the marathon it's you don't want to be, be out there all day like with Ironman I was accepting the fact that I'm going to be starting at 8 a.m and I might finish at midnight so it's kind of a different mindset. Yes, exactly. I had pretty much the same thing, although I was more into the the bike racing side and then did Ironman, but that was my first marathon as well. And yeah, totally different mentality, it, which makes no sense when you actually like think about it on paper. You're like, wait a second, I'm doing more in the Ironman, but the marathon and the Ironman feels less intimidating in a lot of ways. Yeah. I had no desire to do a marathon before my Ironman. I was like, this is, and I have, I didn't bike a hundred miles before that. Like I haven't, I didn't do a century, but I understood endurance and I loved endurance and I loved being out all day biking and running. So, um, I think that's what enticed me. Mm -hmm. That's, I think my favorite thing about the endurance sport is like anytime when I'm having like a terrible time in a race, I just think like, what would I rather be doing? Right. Like (laughs) you're still outside moving forward. That's a win. (laughs) Um, okay. So you started at like 16, 17 years old, which is arguably like one of the toughest times to get into endurance sports as a young woman, uh, because it can lead down so many kind of bad rabbit holes when it comes to each one. I I did it all. (laughs) Yeah. Like you hinted at uh, with stress fractures and stuff. Um, and in the, the intro to your cookbook, you talked about having to get over the idea of healthy foods, quote unquote, versus unhealthy foods. Can you sort of talk a little bit about that moment in time? (laughs) Yeah. So I think like weight and how I looked was always front and center growing up. So when I started to run, I naturally started to lose weight and I, I kind of got too obsessed over it and too obsessive. And in combination with the whole, I was sick, I don't want to eat unhealthy foods anymore. This is bad for me. This is good for me. It became this very restrictive way of eating. And with that, you know, I didn't know much about running. I didn't know that if you didn't eat enough, you'll get stress fractures and your body will literally break down. So that was kind of a blessing in disguise. Like, I don't think if I didn't get those stress fractures, I don't know where I would be today because it was a reminder. I'm doing this for my own well-being, for my own health. And if my body is breaking down, like, what am I doing this for? And, um, I started to talk to more athletes and especially professional athletes, just about this whole idea of not getting your period, having stress fractures, normal, how that became so normal in the field. And, um, it really came down to nutrition for me, not eating enough. You don't have enough calories. You don't get your period that leads to stress fractures. And it's very simple on paper, but once you have to actually put it into practice, it was very difficult for me, but I found so much, um, comfort in understanding the why behind what I was eating. And I think that's also how my Instagram grew because I realized I want to understand why I'm having tahini and yeah, it has a lot of calcium and athletes need calcium. And if I'm not eating X, Y, and Z, then this is a great source for me. So educating myself and others around that, um, also helps me heal, um, in a lot of ways. Oh, I love that so much. And 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think when someone has a stress fracture, you kind of almost go, the, there's two ways, right? You hit kind of a fork in the road. You can, like, I think some people realize like, oh, this is a warning sign. This is something I need to address. And then some people, like, it just compounds and it keeps happening and keeps happening. Oh, and eventually. I had four stress fractures. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a cycle of getting healthy, then the other side getting a stress fracture then that because it, it's like once you get one stress fracture it's really difficult to come back from it and just learning about okay i need a weight lift i need to not run all the time and that's how i got into triathlons as well because i realized at that age i can't be running 50 miles a week no matter what i'm eating like my body can't handle it so I accepted that and I started to swim and I started to bike and I started to do Pilates and I found all these other ways of staying active that my body was liking and um, was serving me. Mm -hmm. I love it. Uh, Okay. So professionally, how did, how did this all develop? Because obviously the interest in nutrition is there. So how did it go from, I care about this stuff to I'm writing this awesome cookbook. I'm working with Adidas. I'm working with other runners. (laughs) Yeah. So it was, so 2012 was my senior year of high school. That's when I started to run. I did not think I wanted to do anything in the kitchen because I grew up with amazing cooks and it was kind of like the traditional route. And I was like, I don't want to be traditional. I'm not doing that, but I would always sell desserts and healthy, like desserts on the side. And that was like kind of a side hustle for me. But the second I went to college, I was still doing that, but I was in school for marketing and I got this amazing internship at a record label, which I just loved music, like having been sick and, and listening to music throughout my treatment and running, I felt so connected to music. So I absolutely loved that. And, um, at the same time, I also started my Instagram account running on veggies because, you know, running was my passion and, you know, I loved cooking. So I started to do that. And I slowly realized like my highlight of my day was running. And when I brought cookies to the office and everyone ate it. So I was like, I don't think this is really what I want to do. Um, so, and it naturally evolved because 2013, I don't know if you remember Instagram then, but it wasn't people building brands. It wasn't people starting blogs and businesses. So there was very few people doing it. And, um, it was very natural for me. I wasn't looking to make a lot of money off Instagram or collaborate. It was just me making recipes and talking about my running and slowly, but surely, um, I had a lot of professional athletes start following me and one being Kara Goucher. And I just couldn't believe Kara Goucher was following me. I absolutely loved her. I still love her. And, um, I think a year after following me, she reached out and said, she's having a running retreat in Napa and she's having all of these lifelong friends of her come out and teach Pilates and, you know, talk about the psychological effects of running. And would you want to come out and, um, talk about nutrition for runners? And I was just like, oh my God, I'm 21 years old. You don't want me there. And, um, having her believe in me. And going and being so scared um, really allowed me to see a future in this industry. And I didn't know what it was going to look like, but I knew saying yes to that opportunity was huge. And I think it was just a ripple effect. People, I went to that retreat every year. I ended up living with the Gouchers in 2016, leading up to the Olympic trials and just cooking with her and and working with her. So um, I think it was just a lot of saying yes and a lot of scary opportunities. 
That's awesome. So did you switch your marketing major to something in nutrition or how did you kind of pursue the learning about nutrition side? Yeah. So I ended up finishing my degree in marketing, but at the same time, I went to the Institute for Integrated Nutrition, where I really learned about this holistic approach to nutrition, which was what I really wanted to do. I didn't want to have a, I didn't want to be in hospitals and have this clinical approach. Um, so it made sense for me and marketing was great because every single day we're marketing ourselves. I'm on this podcast because I marketed myself, like all of these things were important to me. And I think it was great that I was building my career while I was in school, because I was learning about who is your target market and, you know, what do they want to hear and how are you talking to them? And I think like the more niche I got with my Instagram, um, the more success that I found. And the more I found like a, a core following that people wanted to engage with. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. Okay. Before we get into about the cookbook, can we just talk about how difficult writing a cookbook and putting it together is? I, I just want to give people like a sense of what this actually entails, because having looked through it, this is clearly like so much time dedicated to it. It's not just kind of a casual, like, oh, yeah, I slapped some recipes together. And like, it's just like copied straight from Instagram or something like that. This book is dense. <laughs> Yeah, it is a lifelong project. I think I always knew, like, I would love to have a book someday, but I knew how much work it was going to be. And um, I was talking about writing a book in 2019 seriously because I had wrote, yeah, I've talked to Rodell in the past about writing a book and it just was never the right time. And then 2018, 2019 rolled around and that was the right time for me. And funny enough, like, I ended up signing my contract to write the book in March of 2020 and it couldn't have been better timing because the whole world had shut down and a lot of projects that I was working on just fell through, but this was still happening and people were in the kitchen cooking for the first time. So I had this amazing opportunity to test these recipes, focus on this solely it was very challenging to get ingredients at the time because I don't know if you remember the grocery stores were mayhem. So that was fun, but um, it was a very different experience than I thought because I thought I'd be writing this book and like bringing in cookies every day to the office and having people test it out and having these big dinners where I would test recipes. So it wasn't that, but it was still amazing just to see my community coming together and wanting to test recipes and just seeing what people were, were liking. But I had so many recipes that I had put away that I knew one day was going to be in the book. So that all made it to the book. And I really felt like I wanted the book to be a guideline and guidance for you to work with what you have in your kitchen, because I didn't want people to buy this one flower that they're not going to use again, but instead like have ingredients that they're going to use again, um, learn how to make a smoothie, why you need these elements in the smoothie. Um, so really like a toolkit for every single person, an athlete, non-athlete to understand, um, what's in their kitchen. Ooh, I love the idea of toolkit. That's, that's exactly what I like. That's how I saw it when I, I started reading it. It's yeah. Super good for that. Um, okay. Running on veggies. Where did that title come from? Because it's not like a totally vegan cookbook. No, running on veggies was my Instagram name. I, I made it up in 2012, 2013, and it was my identity. I couldn't go back. I think it really embodied what, what I was about. It was about fueling yourself with a plant forward approach to eating. And I don't believe that everyone should be eating a certain way. So the cookbook and my Instagram is a reflection of how I eat and how it works best for me. But I've always believed that 
Um, people should have a plant forward approach to eating minimal ingredients, minimal processed ingredients. If eating animal proteins, like a sprinkle of it, but have your vegetables shine, have your fruits and vegetables shine. So um, I think it's just a, a philosophy and approach, but I, I'm, I hate that idea of restrictive eating and labeling what you are. Like I haven't eaten meat in 10 years, but maybe one day that will suit me. I don't see it happening, but I, I'm not going to put myself in a box because society says this is one way of eating and that's another way of eating. Yeah. I really appreciate that. I love the concept of plant forward, uh, rather than, than plant-based that makes me just so happy. And I know, you know, everyone is kind of talking about plant-based right now. There's a lot more people who are, you know, interested in the vegan diet and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we often are, are hearing that from, uh, Peter's coaching clients, you know, they're asking about it and we're always saying like, well, do, do you eat vegetables like on a daily basis? And, uh, often the answer is no, but they're, they're looking at the, the vegan diet and kind of missing the actual like vegetable element of it. Um, yeah. so I, it's that's vegan, just... vegan and having Oreos like, and potato chips. So I just think it's, it's not about labels. Mm-hmm. That's it's funny you said that because that's literally how I started my my book Fuel Your Ride was talking about when I was vegan and I thought I was super healthy, but I, it was like I was literally drinking like a vegan milkshake, eating vegan chicken wings with my uh, you know vegan blue cheese dressing, uh, courtesy of like the I think now defunct Food Swings in Brooklyn, uh, which I would literally drive to like twice a week from New Jersey because it was like the best vegan fast food. <laughs> <laughs> and at the time, like I would have told you I was eating really healthy because I was a vegan and like by nature, like, of course, vegan is healthy. Um, obviously I have since mm-hmm. learned that, uh, yeah, just because Oreos and Mountain Dew are technically vegan does not put them in the health food category. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> um, Okay. So before you get into the recipes in the cookbook, there's a whole lot of other information. Um, I guess, first of all, like why, why go with all of that other kind of like outline of like how to set up a pantry, like why this stuff matters instead of just getting into the recipes, which probably would have been an easier cookbook to write. Yeah. I just felt like it was important to set your kitchen up for success. And, um, it's really about having those tools in your kitchen in order to make the recipes. And maybe you don't want to make the recipes, but you want to learn about what you should have in your kitchen. So you can make a smoothie, but you don't want to make that smoothie that I wrote down, but you understand that I need a fat, I need a protein, I need a carbohydrate, and here are options for each kind. And here's what a protein powder should look like. And here's how many grams of protein you should be looking for. So it was important for me to include that because I, I didn't want people to be intimidated by the recipes. Also, I really wanted it to be approachable because I think a lot of the times you see vegan macrobiotic healthy recipes, and it's like, you need ashwagandha and maca, maca powder and all these ingredients that you have to go to a specialty health food store to, to go get. And and you end up spending so much money and then you don't even like know what to do with it. So I felt like it needed to be approachable because if it's not approachable, people aren't going to do it. If you're spending so much time in the kitchen, it's not realistic. It has to be sustainable. So that was important to me to just have those like toolkits and, and guides in there because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I appreciate it as someone who 
loves the concept of cookbooks, but is not so much a cookbook recipe follower. Uh, so I really liked that I could actually read the first ch- section and be like, oh, okay, I've, I've learned something. And then, you know, skim the recipes and see what kind of strikes my fancy to sort of like look at, blink about, and then like go kind of do my own interpretation of it. Um, but it's a lot of very helpful information. Um, okay. So favorite pantry staples, like what's, what's always in your pantry? Okay. Hardest question. And I always get asked this question. So you would think that I would like know what to say at this point, but, um, pantry staple. I love oats because I make them into oat flour and I use them as is whether making oatmeal or muffins or whatever it is. And I could also grind it up, make a flour make my oat chocolate cookies. So that's definitely a staple of mine. Um, a plant-based protein powder. I really love because I'm a big smoothie drinker, especially in the warmer weather after a workout. I just feel like it's the perfect, most refreshing thing. And, um, as a female athlete, I'm looking to get 15 to 20 grams of protein in afterwards. So it's important. I have a good quality protein powder. Um, what else do I have in there? I always have almond flour also, cause I just feel like if I want to bake something last minute, I know I have these ingredients and I could just make whatever it is that I want to make. Um, I have almond flour, I guess not so much a pantry item, but I love avocados because I always just make avocado toast with Ezekiel bread, another pantry staple. Um, and I always have eggs in my, in my fridge and oat milk and coffee. I feel love like. it. And then I also love having spinach or kale because I could use it in a smoothie, but I could also use it in a salad and I can also saute it. So there's a lot of different ways of using it. Mm-hmm. I actually really love that point about oats because like it, it's so versatile. I hadn't really thought about them like that, but really good. Yeah. Yeah. I actually never buy oat flour. I don't think I've ever bought it. I've always made oat flour. I guess that that makes sense, right? Because oat flour would just be more pulverized oats. Yes, exactly. But like making almond flour is very difficult because they have to be blanched or what or whatever it is and to get it that fine. But with oats, it's very easy to grind it and make it into a flour. Interesting. And that kind of leads to the next question of kitchen tools you can't live without. So how do we how do we make the oat flour? So if you know me and if you've seen my Instagram, I use a food processor all the time. Um, so definitely a food processor love a good blender. You don't have to have the top of the line blender. I use like a magic bullet sometimes, but I do have a Vitamix. And that was like one of the first things I bought for myself. I remember like being 17 and like starting this dessert, healthy dessert recipe business and going out to Costco and getting this like $400 blender and being so ridiculous about it. But, um, I still have it till today. So I think if you invest in good quality, uh, you, um, appliances, you'll use it forever. So, um, Vitamix, I have a Cuisinart 14 cup food processor, and then just like good pots and pans, I think will really go a long way. I don't, I use, um, not nonstick. So regular, you know, all clad is great. Um, I have Lagostino, which is really great. So, um, just good, um, quality pots and pans. And then, feel like that's it. And I always use an ice cream scooper. I don't know if this is a kitchen appliance, but I use an ice cream scooper because I make cookies with it. I make date balls with it, scoop ice cream with it. So a tool I can't live without. 
Nice. Nice. I remember, uh, Georgia Gould, a former pro cyclist or retired pro cyclist that told me once that like a good knife is the other, just like right. yes. live and die by a staple. And I now, every time I'm like cutting tomatoes, I'm always thinking like, is this knife cutting tomatoes easily? And if it's not, I'm just like furious. <laughs> yes. You need a good knife and knife sharpener. So I always thought like sharpening a knife was so intimidating until I got one and just taking care of your knives will, it'll go such a long way. So I have Victoria Knox, I think it's called a set, but I really love them and, um, and never put your knives in the dishwasher. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> All right. Underline that point. <laughs> uh, okay. And as, uh, as you're looking through the first part of your book, you have this lovely meal prep grid, which I am obsessed with. So actually first, what does your meal prep situation look like in kind of an ideal week? So I'm not much of a meal prepper, to be honest. I feel like when I'm meal prepping and I cook a bunch of food, I like don't want to eat it after I like cook. I'm like looking at it for hours. So I'm not much of a meal prepper, but what I do is like, I always have salad cut in my fridge. And then, um, I'm a big believer in like making dinner and having leftovers the next day. So that's what I'll do most of the time. And that's what I've done in the meal guide. It's like, if you're having salmon for dinner, you're, then you're having it for lunch the next day. So I always do that. And I always, always have a dessert in the freezer. So, um, I guess you could call that a meal prep, but I just make sure that my fridge and freezer are well stocked so that I can make a meal on a whim and, um, I always just like cook a little bit more when I'm making dinner. So I have it throughout the week, but I don't like cook all day on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's the most kind of natural way to meal prep. I think people overthink the like must cook everything on Sunday thing. Yeah. Like, let me roast vegetables and rice and do all these things. And then I don't know. I just like, don't want to eat it by the second day or in like third day. And I, and I like want to try new flavors and new things. So I experiment a lot at dinner and then I end up having that for lunch. I love it. And let's talk about the fact that dessert is always in the freezer and it is a category in the Mm -hmm. grid that you have here because so for, you know, I, I grew up at a time and I still have like so many of them saved. I don't know if you remember this, but in like triathlete magazine or bicycling, they used to do like how this athlete fuels for the day. And inevitably every single one of these athletes was like, oh, I like wake up and I have like a granola bar before I go do my like 18 mile run. And then I come home and I have like my half cup of oats with fresh berries and my cup of coffee. And then I go do workout number two. And then I have a salad for lunch with like some, some grilled chicken on top. And then my like fifth workout of the day. And then like my, Mm. my salmon with steamed vegetables maybe rice if they were like, you know, really, really like yeah. serious <laughs> athlete. And then it was like a square of dark chocolate for dinner or for dessert. And that was like the day. And you're like, that's like 800 calories like that. Yeah, that's They're not doing that. Let's be real. No, but it, it's such a, it was such like a bad time for those of us who were just getting into sport and like legitimately believe that that's what those people were doing. And that, you know, like it made me feel like everything I was doing was wrong. Or that I was like eating so much. Right. Right. Funny enough. Like once I started to work with professional athletes, I worked with Steph Bruce. I worked with team sky. I worked with Kara Goucher. I got an inside look on like what these athletes were eating. And I was shocked because they were 
like bowls of dessert at night, M&Ms, popcorn, like everything. And I was like, oh my God, like I won't even have like dark chocolate at night. Like, oh my gosh, they're really indulging, but they have to, they have to have these calories. And I think that also allowed me to heal even more because I was realizing like, this is their job and they're not, you know, eating steamed broccoli and rice, you know, they're eating a lot of food and they're also indulging in other things. So it's all about a balance. And that's really why I wanted to have professional athletes in the book. And if you'll see at the end of every chapter, there's a few recipes from professional athletes, because I think it's so interesting to get an inside look into their kitchen, into their meals and hear them like talk about how they fuel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny, you know, as I've coached like junior cycling camps where, you know, we're riding 20, 25 hours a week, like the, the young girls were all like watching me and just being like, you eat that much. And I'm like, yes, that's, what's keeping me functioning right now. Uh, that's, that's why I'm like on all of these rides. And it was just like such a, you could see like them, like shifting how they were thinking about their meals. It was like, Oh, like you have to fuel your sport as it turns out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm also realizing, as you mentioned, team sky, I'm like, Oh, I've definitely talked to you before, like ages ago for an article for bicycling on fueling for the tour. So oh my gosh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So favorite dessert, what is, what is in your freezer? Yeah. I can't be a favorite dessert because I love them all. And that was the hardest chapter to narrow down. Cause I had so many ideas. Like I was known for my healthy desserts, just doing it from such a young age. And I think it's so unique because it's not like you just throw stuff together. Like baking is a science. It all has to work. So, um, I always have, I make the coffee cake all the time. It's a cinnamon crumb coffee cake. And I always add blueberries to it. Um, and I know ne- we never finish it. So I always cut up the leftovers and put it in the freezer. Um, my oat chocolate chip cookies are just the perfect last minute dessert, whether you want to make it for people coming over, or you- I always make it if I'm like invited out to eat. And then I always have leftover in the freezer. Um, and I love warming that up at night. And then I really love the compost cookies. Those are in the adventure snacks and the adventure snacks are designed to take with you on a long bike ride you know, on a trail run on a long adventure, but the compost cookies are so good. It has like so many different textures in it and it's not too sweet. And they're my favorite bike snack and also dessert. Love it. I also love that you mentioned cutting up the cake before you freeze it. So it's actually like in individual portions. Cause I would definitely put it all in the freezer in one bag and then have oh, to like take the whole thing out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's actually like a weirdly excellent, uh, good, like hack we'll call it. <laughs> okay. Now we got, you know, you keep mentioning this idea of like healthy dessert. Can you kind of speak to, to what makes a dessert kind of fall into that like healthy category? Yeah, I would say that I don't use any white flour or white sugar in the dessert. So that kind of, I feel like makes it in that category and it's all functional. I think when I was looking to make desserts, it's it's the same way that I worked with athletes. Like here's another opportunity to fuel your sport. So instead of having a chocolate fudge, let's add tahini into the chocolate fudge and make it a calcium rich dessert. So I always feel like every meal is an opportunity to fuel yourself and help yourself recover from the day the workout, whatever it is. So, um, instead of, you know, and dessert is indulgent. So it's not about having the whole square of cake, but, you know, enjoying it, it tastes good. It's at the end of the day or whatever it is. Um, 
but I think I also, yes, I use, it's mostly gluten-free flours, which is just naturally, I, the book is not gluten-free. I have some recipes that have white whole wheat pastry, white whole wheat flour, which I learned while I was making the book, white whole wheat flour is basically just another wheat. So it's a white wheat, but it's not processed like white flour. Um, so it was just interesting. I use it in the zucchini zucchini date bread and I use it in the carrot cake which is also really good um and the sweeteners are very minimal so the desserts are not overly sweet yeah okay um okay talk to me about this tahini fudge you just mentioned it my brain is stuck on it walk me through this This was designed when I was working with Kara and she was le- and she was training for the Olympic trials and she loved desserts. And I was just always trying to make a new dessert for her. And, um, it's just tahini, a little bit of maple, a little bit of coconut oil. I think, um, I'm trying to think what else is in it, but I think it's just those ingredients. You put it in the freezer, you cut it up and it's the perfect square at night. It's a little bit savory, a little bit sweet. It reminds me of halava, which is like an Israeli dessert, um, which I grew up eating all the time just from my roots. So, um, very nostalgic as well. Ooh, that sounds amazing. Um, okay. Now the other question, as we're talking about all these different flowers, it's occurring to me. I mean, I I've been looking at the, even the price of like white flour is currently absurd. Um, any tips for like saving money as you're trying to, you know, get some of these ingredients and, and do this like eating healthier. I think people tend to assume that all of this is just like so much more expensive. Yeah, it's really not. I think it's just about sourcing it in the right places. So if you could go to Costco or BJ's, or if you have those big, um, supermarkets near you, you could always like stock up on that. So if I need, like, I always go there when I need, you know, coconut oil, almond flour, oats, I get the basics there. And then I always try to hit the farmer's market for local veggies, um, which could be a little bit more expensive. So you don't need to get everything there, but I like to get fruits there, things that I'm eating raw, like salads there. And then like, if I'm, if I'm using, like, if I'm cooking it or roasting it, um, I could like go anywhere to get it. But I think a tip is just to try to buy in bulk at those places. Um, if you're a member, if it's available to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I have to ask, is your pantry one of those ones where like everything is decanted into beautiful glass jars <laughs> and containers or? I feel like showing it to you right now, but I might be too embarrassed. It's like bags of things flying out. And every time I open it up, it's like, something's falling down from the top and I need a step stool at all times. I live in New York city. It's not, it's not like that. I wish it looked like that, but maybe one day in my forever home, I'll like set it up like that. See, that actually makes me really happy because I think a lot of people have this like assumption that, uh, you know, eating this way and like shopping this way and stuff kind of also implies this aesthetic that I don't think actually needs to be part of the whole situation. If that makes sense. Yeah. People get, I think even myself, it just gets, you get so overwhelmed by this whole idea and it's not a huge overhaul. Like take steps, uh, whatever steps you need and meet yourself where you're at. You don't need to start cooking every single meal. If you never cooked a day in your life, like start small. And I think the food should taste good. I think a lot of people think like I'm going to eat healthy and it's going to be steamed broccoli and grilled chicken. And it doesn't need to be like that. And it doesn't need to be complicated. And I feel like my book is a great reflection of how it could be. Mm-hmm. I love it. 
uh, on the note of, of steamed broccoli, uh, what are your best tips for cooking vegetables or even prepare, I guess, preparing vegetables, maybe even stepping back from it has to be cooked. What are some of your favorite ways to make vegetables a lot less blah? Funny enough, I made steamed broccoli last night because I just love it. <laughs> but I think it's all about the sauce. You have to have a good sauce. So no matter if you're roasting, steaming, whatever it is, like I always have some type of, sorry for the New York sound. I was going to say, you're just showing off <laughs> that you live in New York City. We get it. <laughs> um, I always have a great sauce. So um, in the book, there's the sauces and condiments at the end. And that was important for me to have there because I feel like And a lot of times those sauces and dressings could get lost in the book because they're only used one time, but I would use a pesto sauce or a vegan ranch dressing, not only in one category. And I wanted people to be able to find those sauces and condiments and use it in whatever way they wanted. So I would say, try one of the sauces and drizzle your vegetables with the sauce. Um, steaming vegetables, you're gonna get the most nutrients out of it versus roasting it in the oven for hours. But um, you know, if roasted vegetables is the worst thing you're eating, you're doing pretty good, so. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, okay, steaming, do you have one of those like actual steamer thingies or how are you steaming? Or what's the so, easiest yeah. way to steam? <laughs> so technically the vegetables shouldn't touch the water, but not perfect. I boil water, throw the vegetables in there. And then I just, um, you know, steam it for a few minutes and then put it under cold water. Nice. See, this is, I I just wanted to get to that because I think so many times people are like, Oh, I couldn't possibly do that because I don't have the the steaming colander thingy or basket or whatever it's called, or the steaming thing that goes on top of the thing. We can get by. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. Out of all of the recipes in the book, I'd love it if you could share maybe one or two and just kind of walk us through how to actually make them. I realize talking through a recipe is like way harder than writing it out, but give, give our listeners like a taste for, for one of them. Okay. Well, give me a category and then I could talk to you. Oh, let's see. I want to do dessert because delicious, but let's actually do breakfast. I feel like that's a good one because I think a lot of people just opt for the, you know, cereal or no breakfast or, you know, bagel on the go kind of thing. Let me think. I'm like thinking of the stuff that I have in the book. Um, so the blueberry muffins are great. Blueberry lemon muffins. Um, basically what you're going to do for that recipe is take all your dry ingredients, which is going to be, so all the recipes in the breakfast chapter chapter don't have any added sweeteners. It's all sweetened with fruit because I felt like when you're starting your day, you know, to avoid those added sugars and be intentional with it. So having it with dessert or an adventure snack was the best place to have it. Um, so I use almond flour, I believe it's almond flour, oat flour. Um, so you mix that together and then you're going to put the wet ingredients into a food processor. So you're going to blend dates, eggs, probably coconut oil, maybe a nut milk. Um, and then you blend that, then you mix the wet and dry ingredients together. And then you fold in blueberries, use your ice cream scooper to scoop it out. So it's all even into a, um, muffin tray and then you bake it. And that's another thing I always keep in the freezer. Those muffins, if I make them, I like to have them in the freezer and then just like pop one or two out before a run. 
Oh, I love that. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a really simple version of that, like to go bagel or, you know, up here in Canada, the to go Tim Hortons, two donuts and coffee. Although maybe actually I'm the only one I know who eats two donuts in a, <laughs> in a sitting. Everyone else up here is just like one donut, which is very odd to me. Yeah. You can't stop at one. <laughs> like I'm, I'm from the U S like, we don't really believe in like singular donuts. I don't know. <laughs> Not how I was raised. Um, anyway. Uh, okay. I love that. Um, and okay. You've mentioned smoothies a few times and sort of the, the formula for a good smoothie. Could you maybe talk through that? And then obviously people can pick up the cookbook to get sort of some more specific options, but what, yeah, what makes so- a good one? So in the smoothie chapter, I also wanted to make sure that every smoothie has a vegetable. So you'll see array of some have kale, some have spinach, some have cauliflower, frozen cauliflower. I love adding that to smoothies because it gives it such a thick, great texture. Mm. Um, And basically when you're making a smoothie, you want a liquid, you want a base liquid. So I always look for unsweetened nut milks or unsweetened um, type of milk that you want to add in, then you're looking to add some fat. So fat could come from tahini, nut butter, nuts, avocado. So every smoothie is going to have one of those things. And then you want a protein source. So whether you're using flax seeds, chia seeds, protein powder, every smoothie will have that. And then a carbohydrate. So carbohydrate will be found in fruits and vegetables, Um, so you'll see like every smoothie has that. And then I break down a lot of the ingredients in the book of like different options for each, each kind, because I've also felt like I've gotten feedback over the years. Like I had a smoothie. I was hungry an hour later. I had a smoothie. I wasn't filling. It wasn't this. It wasn't that. So I always ask like, are you adding a fat? Most people don't add fat into their smoothie and fat is what's going to keep you filled for a long time. So having fat, having fiber, having protein, you need to make sure you check all those boxes. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. Okay. When you're going out to eat, where, where are you going? What's your like go to sort of, I don't know if we'll, I don't want to call it an indulgence, but like when you're going out to eat, how are you handling kind of balancing the like good for you side with the, I want to go out and enjoy myself side. Yeah. I love to go out to eat. I don't feel like I'm sacrificing eating well when I go out. I just think someone else is preparing the food and I know what to ask for. I personally, my favorite thing to go out for is sushi. Um, I just love sushi. If I could have it the night before every race, I would, but I'm too paranoid and scared to do that. But I just feel like the rice and fish are, it's just so clean and so good. And you go to a good place and they make it, you know, with the little toppings on top, omakase style. So I love that. And I love, um, there are some Italian places that I really like here. El Buco's great. Frankie's is great. Um, I don't know. I think, I think, um, that's, that's where I get inspired to make recipes. So it's not, it's not something I feel like, um, I sacrifice at all. Mm -hmm. You mentioned knowing what to ask for. What are you, what are you thinking with that? So I, I'm, if you go out to eat with me, you'll see how crazy I am when I order. People like to record me when I order food, but basically I'm just like making sure it, I don't eat dairy. I have, I've had bad eczema. It flares up if I eat dairy, my stomach hurts. So I always like, always make sure is there dairy when you grill the fish, is there dairy in the dressing? Um, I ask for it dry most of the time. Um, I just ask questions. I think I just want to make sure that what I'm eating is going to make me feel good. 
Mm-hmm. I like that. I, I think people are kind of scared of asking questions. I know I definitely am, but I think it's, it's probably a good piece of advice to actually <laughs> ask those things. Um, on the note of the avoiding dairy for eczema, as, as we sort of wrap up here, um, talk to me, like, do you ever deal with runners who are dealing with sort of some of these maybe unanswered or like undiagnosed sort of food issues? And how do you kind of pull that out or help someone kind of figure out what's, what's going on? Yeah, I think everyone's so unique and I've dealt with it myself. I've had this chronic eczema and once I started to eliminate processed foods and meat and dairy, it went away, but like no doctor has ever told me to do that, but it's something I've had to experiment with myself. And I don't know if it's the cure to eczema, but it went away for now. So I'll take it. So I think it's just about experimenting what works for you. And that's why it's not about putting yourself into this box, but being diligent about, um, you know, seeing how you feel after you eat, just like we have a training log, have a food log of how your food makes you feel after you eat based on your training. I ate this on the run. I felt like this. I ran this. I had this afterwards and you'll see a pattern of things happening. Um, if you, if you log it. So I think you just have to log it and, um, be open to different ideas and different things and don't, you know, conform or be stuck on one way of eating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, for me, like for years, like recent years, I guess I felt like guilty for eating gluten because I was like, you know, everyone just was bad. Gluten's bad. And like, it finally dawned on me like two years ago. I was like, oh no, like I actually tolerate gluten like quite well. And I feel like pretty darn good when I'm eating it. So like, why am I like, guiltily sneaking this like pizza when actually for me, that's the best thing for me to eat pre-race. Um, yeah, exactly. Such a, yeah. Such a funny thing. Um, but we get convinced that like, oh, if this person can't do gluten, therefore like I shouldn't do it. It's like, that's, that's not the case. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess the, the last thing I wanted to maybe ask is just like, is there, have you noticed like one thing that runners are doing maybe lately that's either like a positive or a negative in terms of like trends that you notice that they're, they're following. There's always a trend and there's always something. And I always ask people like, either someone's trying to sell you a product or a thing or whatever it is, like be cautious of where you're getting your information from. And, um, I don't know if you intermittent fasting is, is a thing, (laughs) um, but I am totally against it. Um, my fiance was very into it when we first started dating and caused a lot of fights with the, with it. And I was like, I fly all over the world telling people how to eat and you're not eating. Like, this isn't the right thing to do. So I got really passionate about intermittent fasting. But um, I've worked with clients who also really like it. And it's been a struggle to try to, um, I guess, just show them that, it's not the right thing and it's not long-term. And, um, so that has been a thing that I've seen, but for the most part, I feel like athletes and runners are always looking for more information and trying new things. And Mm -hmm. I think they're a great audience to work with. Definitely. Do you feel like the keto craze is starting to finally drop off? It's so funny because it's like so old school. It's like Atkins diet. I'm like, right? oh my God, <laughs> this is back. Yeah. I, I yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think people are doing it as much. It has so much saturated fat and it's, it's just you, this low carb 
this whole idea of low carb is, is really toxic and could cause a lot of injuries, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think, um, I try to stay away from those audiences, I guess. So I don't feel it as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but people are always asking me questions about different types of diets. Yeah. Yeah. I was just saying yesterday, I've noticed that it seems like a lot less of the people that we're interacting with are like doing the low carb or keto thing. So I'm like, I'm hoping it's like finally started <laughs> <Yeah>. to <laughs> you can't like run without carbs. You can't, you can't perform. So I don't think a lot of endurance athletes are dabbling in that. Yeah. I think a couple of them tried it, realized pretty quickly that, uh, it, it didn't really work out so well and, uh, have gone back to the carbohydrates mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and actually, okay, maybe this is my last question, I swear. And it's how, how are you fueling on the run? Because running in particular, very tricky with the, the gut issues, like cycling, you can kind of shove whatever you want in and like, you're going to be fine running different yeah. story. Cycling is amazing. Like you could eat full meals and then hop back yeah. on the bike. Um, but in my Ironman, like that's where I got most of my calories was on the bike. And then the run was just, what could I tolerate? So on the run, um, I love Morton gels. They don't have a flavor. I usually, so what I do is I have like the non-caffeinated gels and then I'll have a caffeinated gel towards the end of my run. So I could really use it because if you have the caffeine early on, you'll have that dip in energy and you'll continue to crave it and it could upset your stomach. So um, I've been a fan of more in, I also like scratch chews, but I found that it's hard to chew them and get enough calories in on the run. Um, it's, it was kind of like a candy and for hydration, it, for me, it's just about hydrating beforehand, like hydrating on the run is not going to help you as much as hydrating beforehand and showing up fully hydrated. So I like scratch hydration for before the run. And I normally have like a bottle before a long run in the morning and at night. Love it. I really like this just because, you know, someone could look at, look at the cookbook, look at your Instagram, see like running on veggies and sort of assume that you're only eating like completely unprocessed, like, you know, carrots or something on the run. Uh, So I really like just kind of showing that like, no, like sometimes these processed things actually are what we need for the performance side of things. Yeah. It's very functional. Like I, when I first started running me being like, I don't want to eat any sugar, anything unhealthy. And I tried dates on the run, but I wasn't performing as well as if I had like the gel that had simple sugars that I was literally using on the run right away. Like I'm not sitting at home eating a gel watching TV on my couch. So, um, I just think it's, it's a very functional tool, the gels, and you just have to find what works for you and stick to it. Mm-hmm. Yet another thing that's all part of the toolkit here. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. Uh, let everyone know where they can find you and where they can find the cookbook. Yeah. So you could find me at running on veggies on Instagram. Um, I also have a website runonveg.com. You could find the cookbook on my website or wherever books are sold, Barnes and Nobles, The Strand, Amazon, pretty much wherever you could find the book. It should be local in your neighborhood as well. Any Barnes and Nobles. I signed a bunch of copies all around New York, so you could grab one there. Um, But yeah, the book is everywhere, so you could get it wherever books are sold. Awesome. And I highly recommend it for one that looks really good in your kitchen, as well as uh, being a very functional cookbook. So. <laughs> Thank you. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today and uh, indulging my very strange lines of questioning sometimes. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox.